Hey, everybody, you're listening to Top Quartile, where we bring you stories from the front lines of growth in community-focused financial services. Hey there. Welcome back to Top Quartile. Uh, Drew, great to have you on the show. Um, Great to be here. So to get started, yeah, awesome. So to get started, just uh, you know, tell everybody, tell everyone listening about your, a little bit about your background and current role there at KeyPoint. Sure. Uh, so I have a background in technology consulting and fintech. Dan, you and I met when I was at a fintech. I was at M Foundry. Yep. Uh, you were at a bank at the time. You didn't have a beard. Uh, <laughs> you. We both looked a lot younger. Uh, yeah. <laughs> That's right. uh, so. So I have a background. And recently, uh, two years ago, I joined Keypoint Credit Union as their CIO. And what that includes is managing their core system, network infrastructure, help desk, cybersecurity, which is a never-ending thing, uh, digital, and uh, our, the critical IT vendors. And um, you know, a couple things that we're really focused on, we have a strategic imperative to transform ourselves digitally at Keypoint. And that includes both member-facing capabilities and also internally with things like automation and efficiency initiatives. So that's what my focus has been. Awesome. And for for those who may not know you, what's maybe one fascinating fact that most people don't know about you? Yeah, fascinating fact. I, I feel like a lot of pressure. Um, yeah. So in, in college, yeah, in college I was a jazz DJ. Uh, so. Um, and, and I guess that meant I wore black turtlenecks and sometimes a beret. Um, and, uh, <laughs> and, and I, I think I had exactly three listeners maybe on my radio show, but, uh, maybe there were more, I don't know. I never really knew. Um, and so, yeah, I'm super into music and, you know, Spotify has kind of changed my life. A lot of people resisted streaming, but it's been a great, for me, it's been great because you can sort of try everything. Right, you're not limited. You don't have to go to like a CD store and, you know, figure out which where you're going to spend your money. It's just, it's all there. So it's it's been pretty amazing actually to um, just listen to all the music out there. So kind of a music guy. Yeah, it's it, that's actually kind of a, a somewhat of a, a theme. A lot of guests have some sort of a music connection or hobby. So um, yeah, that's that's awesome. And if if you're interested, we can we can share a link to your. Um, to your streaming channels in the show notes. I'll leave that up to you. Yeah, very cool. Yeah, I mean, uh, it's it's it, you know, I was talking I was talking recently with someone about personalization like <clears throat> and how Spotify really gets that notion down, you know, based on everything I listen mm-hmm. to and don't listen to, they keep recommending things which I'd say they're, you know, they're about 80% in terms of getting it right in terms of what they recommend. Yeah. And so I'm pretty impressed with their, I don't know if it's AI, ML or what it is, but it's, uh, it's pretty good. Um, from a technology standpoint, it's pretty impressive. Yeah, it is. And, and I mean, it actually speaks to, there's so many, uh, data points, right? You think about how many songs you listen to over the course of, you know, just living life, driving the car, commuting, whatever. Um, there's a lot of data points to work in. And then there's the whole taxonomy and all those things. Yep. Well, cool. Um, so talk a little bit about uh, what's been going on uh, at Keypoint recently. How's growth been? What are you focused on? Yeah, so so Keypoint, and I think this is probably true for most financial institutions um, over the last year or so in a 
rising interest rate environment. It, you know, there's been some, I'd say, industry-wide challenges of maintaining deposits and being able to sort of lend in a rising interest environment. But, you know, with that said, our business is doing well. We continue to acquire new members. We continue to make loans. So the business is, is doing well. Um, this is probably a good time for me to plug Keypoint Credit Union. Um, yeah, keep for come, sure. visit us. come visit Keypoint Credit Union, either at one of our branches. Uh, and we're, we're here in the Bay Area, primarily located in Silicon Valley, but there's some, some other areas in the, in the Bay Area. There's one in Goleta, which is near Santa Barbara. Uh, you can also visit, visit us at kpcu.com. Shameless plug, Dan. There you go. Hey, I love it. Uh, take advantage of the, the platform. Well, and yeah. I, um, yeah, so, so growth, a lot of, you're seeing some, some shifts in the industry. Uh, talk about how your background you, as your developer, you know, you talked about the Infoundry kind of background and, and other fintech. How does that give you a unique perspective to lead um, the tech organization there at Key, at key Point? Yeah, I mean, I think um, fundamentally that background and that experience has made it, it made it really obvious to me how hard it is to, to for us to build our own solution. So, you know, key point, we're a mid-sized enterprise. And so, you know, it's not just building solutions, but it's maintaining them over time. And there's a cost to doing that. And, you know, there's obviously um, a cost to innovation. So being able to innovate in a in a particular space is difficult um, at, at, at an enterprise our size. So I'm very biased and you know, where I come from in the FinTech world you know, is very product oriented. So I'm very biased towards um, products and, and understanding in many cases, like in the digital landscape, there's like a commoditization trend that's happening where, you know, I guess let's, let's use the example of 15 years ago, not every bank had a mobile mobile solution. And that was something you could differentiate, but now every bank and credit union has a mobile solution. So there's a commoditization that's continuing to happen. It's been happening for years. And so I'm, I'm very biased towards leveraging, you know, best of breed products. Um, and that doesn't mean we don't do any development. And so my rule around development is let's, let's develop where we think we can differentiate. So if there's a place that we think we can differentiate, that's a good candidate for development. Um, and so, you know, that, that means that we're really uh, targeted in what we develop, because as I said, there's a kind of a cost, uh, an initial and an ongoing mm -hmm. cost to developing your own solutions. So, yep. hopefully that made sense. For sure. Yeah. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. Uh, and so what are some of the key growth drivers you're focusing on enabling, either through development or uh, kind of harnessing a best of breed? set a platform yeah providers. yeah so we are and these are some of our 2023 things that we're trying to do so we want to roll out p2p through cell mm -hmm. um which you know a lot of banks and credit unions already have and you know we're we've had a lot of demand and interest from our from our membership around that so that's something we're excited about rolling out later this year other things uh, like buy now, pay later, which you know is, is also something that some industry players are already doing. Uh, digital issuance, which is essentially issuing cards directly to your device. So mm -hmm. some of those things are you know are very much interesting to our membership, and and we think will have a lot of adoption and engagement. Um, 
The other thing I'll mention just from our, I mean, you mentioned sort of growth drivers, you know, on internally, and I mentioned this sort of in my intro, like we're also looking to drive more efficiencies through technology automation. So I'm looking to enable Mm -hmm. a lot more efficiency and automation and, and sort of um, improved processing, which ultimately benefits our membership. Like if you can automate a backend process and reduce the cycle time for some requests from a member, that is a better member experience. And so one thing that super important to key point, you know, is the member experience. So that includes those, those front end member facing products, but also everything in our organization should really be more efficient and ultimately that benefits the member. Yeah, very well said. And so how does, how do you, you leverage data analytics to inform that work in terms of prioritizing or, or informing the, the kind of roadmap? Well, everybody, everybody wants to make data-driven decisions. Um, and so <laughs> we're, we're no different. Um, and so the tricky part, the tricky part is, well, do you have the data and is it in the consumable format? Um, yeah. And, you know, we have a, you know, we have a data warehouse, which I manage and, you know, we, we support hundreds of different reports, which are generally like currently ret- retrospective views of what's going on, right? It's there, mm-hmm. they can tell us what, what our membership is doing, when they're doing it, that kind of thing. Um, some examples of that is we, as I, as I said, member experience is a big thing at, at Key Point, really important. We track NPS, you know, net promoter score stuff through our analytics. We mm-hmm. have surveys every week. We're going through our reporting on that. And that so much drives the improvements we, we make, the, the features we roll out. You know, we really gauge our member interest. So uh, member adoption and usage is another thing that we track extremely closely through our analytics platform. Um, so, you know, those are just some examples uh, of kind of the retrospective view. The the ultimate goal for us and presumably others as well is, you know, predictive analytics. We've got some, we've got some initiatives this year that we're looking to kind of embark on that, you know, questions like what, what's the next best product for our member, that kind of thing. Yep. Yeah, for sure. That's where you, that's where you can really monetize that data. So, yep. Um, yeah, that's, that's one of the, that's one of the reasons, um, you know, our, our clients really appreciate uh, our work because a lot of times we're, we're able to supercharge, take some of the, the data and help them become more predictive in, um, okay, not just hypothetically, where could I grow, but practically speaking, um, predictive based on capacity and propensity indicators, you know, where should I prioritize for where there's a, there's a relevant member need. So, Yeah, I mean, um, I'd love to talk to you offline uh, about some of kind of what your firm does and yeah. what our needs sure. are because um, yeah, I mean, it's, we, we, we think we will need some assistance from, from third parties to help us not just understand our data, but really think about what are the kinds of questions we're looking to answer that kind of thing. Yeah. Very well said. Well, I think, I think yeah. your point it's, uh, everybody has a, a, has a wish list longer than their capacity to do that. And so tapping into people who have, have experience, uh, answering questions, answering some of those questions, um, you know, just as a smart way to do it. Yep. Um, so maybe that was my shameless plug section. <laughs> yeah, there you go. There you go. I, was, I was waiting for it. I was like, come, come on, Dan. 
Uh, well, how do you manage risks? Um, you know, you talked about cyber, of course, that's a huge topic and really important. Um, but you know, one, one way to rip manage risk is just to unplug the computer from the internet. Uh, that doesn't seem very <laughs> viable. So, uh, <laughs> maybe some days that yeah. sounds like a great idea. <laughs> yeah. Right. But, but, how, yeah. but how, do you, so, how do you sort of manage risk in a way that, that, you know, in, enables the member experience, enables the associate experience, those kind of things. Right. Uh, yeah. So, you know, I think about what are the risks like in my world? So I'll kind of speak to IT. Sure. You know, what are the risks that you're kind of up against? Um, cyber is one of them. And, you know, it's it, this idea of layered security, right? So your technical controls, you know, you have server level security, you have your, you know, front end uh, firewall security, you have security built into your mobile apps that prevent like man in the middle. Like, so there's, it's the, um, the metaphor that I've always used, or actually, I think I, I didn't make this up, but it's a good one is this idea of like layers of Swiss cheese, sweet Swiss cheese. And so you, um, you know, any one layer might have some holes in it, but if you layer enough Swiss cheese on top, you're, you're basically from a technical perspective, you can, you can minimize your, your security risk. Um, so technical controls is one, the Swiss cheese metaphor, um, yeah. you know, are, and of course we're credit union. So we're heavily regulated our cybersecurity audits. We, we have audits with, with the federal and, and state regulators, as well as with the, uh, we have third parties that come in and do audits. And, and so it's always, you know, the audit calendar is sort of all year round, I feel like. Um, and so those, you <laughs> yeah. know, and, and, and that, and those often can help us identify areas that, you know, we need to improve. Um, you know, employee training. So there's, there's a lot of literature out there that kind of say, well, your employees are possibly your biggest risk from a cybersecurity standpoint, you know, things like phishing. So um, how do you educate your employees to not click that link? Uh, yeah. And so that is, uh, we have a lot of, we have a really robust sort of security training program for our employees that, um, that, you know, and then we track that actually, we track it at a, at, at sort of a senior level, like board level, you know, what's, what's, how our training is going, you know, our phishing simulations, are people clicking links, that kind of thing. Yeah. So, you know, so cybersecurity, you know, it's, it's one of those, um, it's one of those things you have a lot of controls. There's a lot of things you do. Uh, but it's, of course, it's kind of a whack-a-mole thing too. Like, so reacting, responding to an incident and getting on top of it and putting additional controls in. So the bad guys are evolving. So we have to as well. Um, so that's, so, you know, there's a lot there to unpack. Uh, I, I gave you just a sliver of kind of, of what we we're kind of up against. Um, the other, which is kind of related, you know, vendor risk, um, yeah. you know, as I said, I'm, I'm biased towards vendors. Um, so picking the right vendor, um, and there's a cybersecurity element there with some of those vendors. Cause you know, like we've all heard about that, you know, some of the supply chain attacks where, you know, what is it? Solar winds where they actually, Oh yeah. They actually packaged up malware in their products. You know, the bad guys were in their in SolarWinds development environment and implemented malware into the actual SolarWinds product, which then got shipped out to SolarWinds customers. 
And so, you know, managing sort of your vendor risk around your supply chain, and I'm not going to say that's an easy, easy solve. So, you know, your contracts need to, need to be, you know, need to be good, need to be tough, need to have teeth, um, you know, annual scorecards, having, you know, nothing replaces relationships with the senior execs at those, at those vendors. Mm-hmm. Um, so, you know, in the end, they're partners. I mean, I, I often call them vendors and they hate it uh, because they are, they are partners too. Uh, but, you know, I, I think relationships is, is sort of a key, in a way, a key control to managing some of the risk there. So, you know, you want to be, as a partner, you want them to be evolving and building their roadmap with you in mind. So you really have to advocate for yourself and find people who will advocate for you at those vendors um, so you get what you need. And, you know, yeah. having been on that side of it, of course, in fintech and stuff, I know some of the shenanigans that are there you know, that go on. Um, so, so anyway, that helps too. Yeah, uh, that's right. Yeah. It helps to know where the, where the, where the real kind of real risk are versus the, um, those things. Yeah. I think your, your, your point about the, the human element, I mean, you know, e- email has got to be one from a CIO perspective. I mean, the, the amount of risk that some person clicks an email and delivers a payload and you like, can we just shut off links and emails? But at the flip side, that's a necessary part of email, right? That, you know, that's, that's how do you, that's, so that's, that's gotta be a, you know, kind of an ongoing challenge of balancing utility and ease of use with a a managing a real risk. Yeah, no, email is a good one because there's the, um, yeah, it's, there's trade-offs, right? So the tighter your security, that means that some things are getting filtered out. So we have, we have like anti-spam filters and, and a, and a number of sure. things that you know, use, they use like AI to sort of intelligently decide whether something is good or bad. And sometimes they get it wrong. And that's the whole thing about AI and ML is that it hopefully can learn over time what's good and what's bad and they get better. Um, but, you know, you know, we, we have situations where emails, good emails go to junk when they shouldn't. And so, and that, yeah. cre- you know, can create frustration because, you know, our, our, our employees are busy and they don't want to, they don't want to look in the junk folder to, to, um, to see if an email went there. And so, sure. so it's, it, you know, it's, it's all about sort of um, continually making the system better and making it, you know, sort of easy. So that, yeah, you're right. There's that sort of ease of use piece, um, which is that sometimes at odds with security. And of course you certainly don't want a security incident. So you have to, you know, weigh that uh, considerably there. Yep. So. Sure, sure. Yeah, uh, we. Yeah, I've and I've I've heard. I mean, the the whole email link clicking risk is is not a theoretical one. I know I've I've talked to friends in the industry that have had those kind of events at their company, and it's like you know we have you know billions of good emails and thousands of employees, and this one time somebody clicked something that they shouldn't have, and it had delivered a bad payload. So, I mean, we have. Um... We have a really good provider, um, Arctic Wolf, for our phishing simulations and our in our training. Uh, I mean, I have yeah. been. I mean, full disclosure, I've clicked on I've clicked on phishing simulations that looked so legit. Like one was like new performance evaluations from HR. It looked like it came from HR. I mean, they they yeah. they craft such clever. There's you know, there's one about like. Yeah. Um, 
what is it? Potluck lunch. You know, like they, they yeah. got ones that, <laughs> that really like that, that they know what people might click on. And so, you know, obviously doing that as simulation is good because it tastes like, Oh, okay. Yeah. I made a mistake. So, um, right. and then it takes you right. right to the training if you happen to click the link. So yeah, it's a, it, it's, it's a good program. And, um, you know, by definition, it's never a hundred percent because people are learning, right. Okay. Myself included. Um, yeah. 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 Sometimes I think that those, the, 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 the really bad actors would just be much better off using those skills to like do marketing. You know, if you're, if you're that good at copywriting, let's, let's write some, you know, marketing emails and, and get people to, totally. to take action that way. <laughs> no, there are, a lot, I mean, you know, all the, um, all the, the hackers, I mean, they're talented people. Clearly, yeah. I mean, they could probably get a job in IT for some for some company. Right. And, you know, obviously, it may be there may be different considerations wherever they are. But um, yeah. no, you're right. That's it's right. like you know, all the bad guys seem like they have skills, and they could probably That's get hired right. somewhere. That's right. Yeah. Um, well, you of know, kind of their resume might look a little weird, right? Uh, well, that's true. Yeah, yeah. The the the, uh, the catch me if I can type job. resume. Yeah. <laughs> that's right. Yeah. 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 My last job, I worked for Pan Am Airlines. Um, anyway. <laughs> right. Uh, well, right. kind of zoom, zooming back out a little bit, what, um, where do you see the technology landscape going for credit unions? Yeah, that's, yeah, that's a so, very broad, open-ended question. Yeah, no, no. Uh, I'll try to, I'll try to answer it. Um, so I mentioned sort of the commoditization versus differentiation. I think that's just going to continue. Like there'll be more and more products out there, commoditized products. And so, and so can be very difficult to differentiate on a product basis. So I think, and this, you know, again, this is not an original thought that we're going to, we're going to differentiate ourselves based on the customer experience. So, take all those products, layer in other services, layer in very optimized human touch points and giving our members a great experience, right? So, you know, that's not so much a technology landscape like point, but um, there's just going to be continued commoditization in the technology landscape. Now, there will be some things that maybe are, could be a point of differentiation, whether as a service or, or something like that, but Generally speaking, member experience is the, is the way that we're thinking about it. Um, specifically, in terms of the technology landscape, I guess I'll answer it a couple of ways. One is the, some of the areas we're focusing on a key point right now and kind of what we're watching. Uh, so right now we've adopted various AI ML uh, solutions. It's sort of, you know, it's sort of in, I mentioned the email example, like it's, it's sort of in a lot of things that you may not even know. Um, you know, it's in a lot of technology, uh, security products already. Um, you know, think about a firewall that has to determine what, what's good traffic and what's bad traffic. A lot of that is AI ML. Um, so we're going to continue to adopt AI ML where it makes sense for our business. Um, and I assume other financial institutions will be doing the same. Um, you know, so AI ML gives you, can give you, uh, security, uh, it can help with efficiency, uh, and, and maybe can actually help with, uh, top line. Although I 
don't see those use cases as much. Um, automation is another sort of technology that will it will continue. Um, and so efficiency for us, we, we view efficiency as sort of a competitive advantage. The more efficient we can be, that's that's an advantage for us. So that's going to, that will continue. Obviously, you know, cloud, like cloud's been around for 15, maybe 20 years at this point. Um, the move towards that. Uh, analytics, so we talked about predictive analytics. I think technology-wise, that's going to be something that will... Um, come to fruition. I'm not, I, I, you know, I'm, I'm sure there's some financial institutions that are doing predictive well. I'm not aware of too many. So I think it's a great opportunity. Mm -hmm. um, sounds like that's what your firm helps with also. Uh, back to the plug. Um, there you you go. know, another, another, another interesting area. I know you're welcome. Um, another interesting area is uh, this notion of financial aggregators. So Plaids and Yodlies of the world, uh, where they they take bank data or credit union data and they provide it out essentially to fintechs that you know they can like a PFM like a some, yeah. like a, a software like that leverages data from your credit union. Well, the, what we've we you know we always kind of viewed them as a bit of a nuisance, um, mm -hmm. but over the last year we've really changed the way we think like. A lot of our membership uses those fintech services. So in my view, I'm expanding my understanding of our digital footprint and thinking, well, we need to get closer to the aggregators. And maybe there's a business opportunity there. Um, you know, it's I don't view it necessarily as a disintermediation, right? A lot of a lot of people might view that. I don't view that. I, I think actually there's business opportunity in getting closer. To those aggregators so that's where i think it's going for us anyway not sure if that's where it's going for everyone um hopefully that made sense uh some of the tech we're watching you know metaverse um so mm -hmm. i'm not aware of any credit union use cases around metaverse yet i think that is coming um, and then blockchain of course outside of crypto so blockchain the technology versus crypto your crypto is mm -hmm. obviously in a is in the winter, probably the coldest winter it's ever been in. Um, it's winter number five, but it's it's a cold one. Um, and so, but but the blockchain technology, you know, is is a very interesting technology, and I think there will be use cases that we're going to adopt over time uh, for for that technology. I'm not sure it's ready for prime time. I I know that some fintechs do a lot with blockchain. I'm just not sure credit unions are ready yet for that. Yeah. Makes sense. Yeah, thanks for that perspective. It uh, sounds like it's a very well thought out one, and and broad. Certainly a lot going on, and um, a lot of moving pieces. And you know, back to your point about the member experience. At, at the end of the day, I think most consumers are just trying to accomplish tasks. And so, you know, if if you're able to help a certain group of consumers manage their financial lives better. And and in a you know relatively less hassle way, and that's a com that takes a combination of digital tools and you know hey if, if I have a question or a problem let me talk to a human, uh, you know I think that's that's certainly wow. an area where the 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 more community focused uh, uh, credit unions have a have a huge advantage over the you know the huge uh, banks that that sometimes can't 
you know, stay out of their own way. You know, they'll, they'll take somebody through a 17 layer IVR uh, only to disappoint them when they can't, you know, get something right. done that they want to get done. <laughs> so, yeah, I mean, um, I, I totally agree. I mean, I think that is the secret sauce for for Keypoint is that great member experience. Um, and it might be weird for the CIO to, to say that, you know, it's more about how we, um, the human side of interfacing with our customers is, is our differentiator, but in many ways it is. Yeah. And certainly our, our products have to be good, actually very good. Yeah. Uh, yeah. And, and, you know, in some cases we have unique products that do differentiate us, but overall, as you said, it's that, it's that member experience. And I think we are uniquely positioned, certainly relative to the banks, but even other credit unions at Keypoint. So to, to wrap up, you know, you've had um, a number of steps, a different perspective in your career. If you could go back in time and sit down with yourself, maybe in their, your college years, what advice would you give to your younger self? Uh, beyond buy a lot of Apple stock. Um, <laughs> yeah, that's right. Only I knew. I, mean, I, I kind of did know, and I still didn't do it. Well, I didn't have any money, so that was maybe the problem. Um, yeah, no, it's uh, yeah, I, I, that's I, interesting. I, I, yeah. I've, I've thought, you know, if I spent the same amount of money on different products that I've bought over the years in stock, you know, if I'd bought, you know, spent what I spent on my iPad on Apple stock when I bought my iPad the first time or, you know, or, you know, the, the, the amount I spent on Amazon Prime the first time I bought Amazon, you know, if I had right. done that, uh, that would have made a pretty nice little portfolio. <laughs> you might not be sitting here today. Is that what you're saying? Um, no, you probably, anyway. probably still do this. You love this job. Yeah, um, this, is, this is fun. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, so, you know, so all, all kidding aside, I mean, you know, I, I look back and, you know, it feels like a million years ago um, yeah. during my college years. But, you know, I think the advice I'd give myself is, you know, and this is a little bit psychological, but it's just trust, trust my instincts. Um, and so it's taken me, you know, I'm in my fifties now. It's taken me, you know, a good number of years, maybe 25 years to really get to a place where I'm like trusting my instincts. So not doubting, not doubting yourself. Um, and that would have saved a lot of, uh, consternation and, uh, suffering and struggling, um, in the younger years. So that's <laughs> what I would tell myself. Um, and that's what I tell my daughter. So maybe, maybe she can have it a little easier. Um, there you go. All right. Well, Drew, thanks so yeah. much for well, coming on the show. Are you, am, I, am I allowed to ask you that question? <laughs> oh, sure. Yeah, I, I would. I would tell myself to start a podcast. <laughs> start a podcast. Yeah, there you go. <laughs> no, no, that no, would be no, pretty no. amazing. You know, twenty years ago or whatever. Yeah, yeah. The 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 nineteen ninety eight podcast edition, and probably be like on a, you know, a, a cassette tape or something. Right. Um. um no, that's, I, I, yeah, actually, no, I, I appreciate that. Um, I usually ask the question, but I, I think, um, I think the sense of curiosity is something that has, has served, served me well, which is maybe a little bit of a different perspective than the instinct. But, you know, when I, when I find something that seems um, to be intriguing, Usually there's a thread there. And so I think if I've, and that's something I've always 
followed, you know, constantly learning. Um, and so, but that, you know, that's definitely something that would, I would have reinforced of, you know, if, if, I, if, if I think back to the time where uh, often if I assume something is what it is at face value, that's, that's all often been caused friction. But it's, you know, and so to your point about instinct is if there's some cl- sense of, hey, something's not, maybe not quite right or something's a little different than, than what it seems on sur- first face value, that leads to unexpected um, discoveries as well as it can, you know, it's that, it's that instinct that can also uncover uh, potential problems. So. Yeah. I think those things are related. Like, um, like sometimes I'm, I'm like listening to something or reading something and like something sort of bothers me, but I can't put it in words. And it's like that, that sort of instinct is like, it's a little bit like the curiosity to explore further kind of like what, what is it that's kind of not sitting right? Cause there's usually something there that could be, you know, plumbed, uh, to, you know, like you said, there could be discovery or there could be, you know, there, there certainly could be more to know. Um, so yeah, so it's, I think those things are related. Yeah. Yeah. I, th- I think back to, I've never really been disappointed if I investigated something and confirmed a hypothesis. I've certainly regretted it when I assumed something was okay or something, but, you know, so I say it's like your, your investment thesis, you know, okay, look, we knew Apple yeah. was a great product. You know, why, why didn't we, or, uh, you know, I think back to Google when, when Google went on, I, I, I kind of probably outsmarted myself on that one. I thought, okay, my instinct is this is a great product. This is a great user experience. I use it all, all the day, every day. Then you look at their financials and you go, well, man, something 30 or 40 times earnings, that's way too expensive. That's not, that's a bad right. stock. Um, but you miss the, the, the 3,000% upside. Right, right, right. Right. Yeah. No, it's, so, uh, well, it's easy to play Monday morning quarterback too. I'd be like, oh, I should, you know, but um, there's always right. a lot of considerations right. when, you know, in the context of the time when you're making that decision, it can often, you know, there's a lot of yep. stuff. For me in college, I, you know, I didn't have a lot of money. So, uh, right. I, it wasn't even an option right. to buy Apple stock. Probably it was like food or Apple stock, you know, like, right. Yeah. Well, so food. you probably chose well there. <laughs> yeah, no, right. Exactly. Exactly. So, yeah. Yeah. Well, I think that's also the, the, you know, the diversification part is an interesting one. Um, you know, no diversification is a bad idea What to concentration but then being too diversified can also be a problem. And so there's that sweet spot of, you know, whether or not it's your, uh, you know, portfolio of projects at work or, um, you know, interest, um, you know, hobbies. Um, if you're too focused on work, you, yeah, you you shortchange your family. If you're too focused on family, you short, you know, you don't, you don't, um, execute well at work, you know, that, so there's, there's a whole sense of kind of related diversification and portfolio approach. Yeah. That's an interesting way of putting it. I mean, I always just sort of think of it like some kind of balance. Um, and it's like, I, I always feel like I'm teetering, um, to go either too much into the work side or too much into the family side. And it's like, you know, it's like, 
staying in balance can be can be challenging. It's literally something I'm trying to do every single day is, you know, think about how I'm spending my time, whether family work or, you know, my own my other pursuits beyond those things. So um, everything takes time. Right. And so I like that. Yeah, it's like it is like a portfolio and you kind of have to tend to it. Well, I don't know about you. I've noticed I've gone through periods where I was very, I mean, working insane hours and ultimately that ends up degrading performance. So I've found, you know, stepping, particularly in the, in the mental work, um, you know, if you're, if you're doing something primarily physical, there's a limit. Your body says, I, you know, I can't dig another, sure. and, but with the mental, it's, I, I've just found fundamentally you you perform better if you make space for those other key parts of, of life. And so, you know, I mean, you're, everything, there's, there's season, there's a sprint, you've got to, but, but on the flip side, if you're, you can't sprint all time, all the entire time or you burn out. So. Truer words have never been spoken. All right. Well, uh, Drew, it's kind of hard to believe we're out of time. It's been a great, great conversation. Thanks for coming on the show. Yeah. Thanks, Dan. Thanks for having me. And thanks for sort of reconnecting. Um, it's, it's great to hear from you. Sounds like you're doing well. Uh, and yeah, I'd love to kind of keep up the dialogue. Awesome. Yep. What's, uh, thanks again. That's it for today on Top Quartile. If you haven't already, be sure to subscribe to Top Quartile wherever you find podcasts on any podcast app. And while you're at it, we'd really appreciate a five-star rating. And if you're interested in getting an opportunity assessment, head over to infusionmarketinggroup.com to learn more. Thanks for listening.